The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for the first half hour is William Scalender. Uh, he is the owner of William Scalender Wealth Management based in Brielle, New Jersey. Welcome to the show, Bill. Thank you, Jordan. Good to be here. Let's just start with your background a little bit, uh, and leading into the creation of your own firm. What has been your, your history and, and uh, expertise? Well, back in the 90s, I was a trader. And like a lot of uh, folks in the 90s, I thought I was, uh, uh, couldn't lose. I, you could be blind and throw a dart at the board and anything. As long as you bought and held, it went up and you, you, you held on to it and you did okay. And I learned after the 2001 crash that that wasn't uh, the case anymore, and I started to uh, get a little uh, frustrated with the markets in general, and then looked at uh, other ways uh, to do things and started to get involved, uh, get licensed, actually, and and build a client base. And I have a small little operation here on the Jersey Shore. We service about 170 clients. And so you're doing um, money management as a uh, registered investment advisor, and you're doing Individual stocks or ETFs, what kind of instruments do you use for them? Well, I, I'm independent, so I can do everything. I stay on the safer side. Most of my clients are older. They're uh, baby boomers and older who are uh, obviously retired and they can't afford to take much, much risk. So I stay on the, on the more conservative side of the spectrum for them. What, what is do, the big issue you're hearing from them these days? What is the big concern that they have? Uh, it, it's always the same, Jordan. I mean, they don't want to run out of money. It's it, they, they, people could have millions of dollars, and they still think that they're going to they're going to run out. It's it's incredible. It's and, and it seems to be universal that it's the biggest fear that uh, retirees have is running out of money. So they're living longer and yeah. keeping money in CDs and money funds and treasury bills. They're pretty much earning zero. Mm. So that is the big worry they have is that if their money is not growing for them and they're living longer, they're going to run out of money. So how do you, when, when people have that problem, how do you deal with it for them? Well, then we try to set up other areas of income that, uh, that work. I mean, there's, uh, you mentioned CDs, and there, there are uh, an, an alternative to normal CDs, which everyone, I'm sure, has heard of and is used to at the bank. And you know, we were older, and we remember back when CDs, it wasn't only a few years ago, bank CDs were getting 6%, 7%. Now they're getting less than one. So what's out there, and it's been around for a while, is, is what's called market-linked CDs, which are exactly as they say, you're linked to the market. In some cases, it, it could be a stock index, it could be a basket of stocks, it could be a commodity, um, all different things. And it's FDIC insured, and you get the investor will get part of the gains when the, when the market goes up or whatever the CD is linked to goes, goes up. And there's no downside. You're protected. 
Is this an insurance-related thing, like an annuity, or is it something off with your banks? It's not an annuity. It's not. It's 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 strictly a bank. It's through it. You have to get it from a securities licensed individual. You have to go through a, a registered rep or anyone who has a securities license. You can't just walk into the local bank and say, "I want this CD." You have to. Now that said, big banks like Chase and Barclays, they, this is who these CDs are through. But it, it's a registered rep has to has to. Um, so so explain to me how this works. So say you uh, the beginning of the year and the market goes up fifteen. Say the S and P five hundred goes up fifteen percent in a year. Right. Are you going to get fifteen percent at the end? Of the, it's a one no, year no, look back, or how, how does it work? Yeah. In, in to keep it real simple, we'll, we'll say it goes up fifteen percent. If you're if you're at a fifty percent participation uh, index CD, then you get half of the market growth. So you okay. you get seven and a half percent, and that's determined at the end of the year. And it, yeah, if it's reset, if this type of thing is resetting every year, then yes, some of them go the full term, and then you get whatever the market started from. Uh, like say it's a two or three year term. If you start in one year, then it goes that three years, and you get the market increase, the percentage of the market increase for that time period. And you only get it at the end, or do you get any uh, periodic payments as you go along? Uh, usually, it, it usually it's 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 locked in, and you get it at the end. So, what are are you insured for by the FDIC? You're not insured by the market's gains. You're insured now, for your, your principal. Your initial deposit is insured. I said two okay. fifty. So, it, again, it's a piece to the puzzle for folks. You don't want to put, throw in. Okay, now we're gonna uh, we found the, the the niche. We can throw every every penny into something like this. This is not for that. It's just a piece that folks can go into. Um, to participate in the in the market increase or basket of stock, or again, we can use a commodity. We have, uh, you know, the gold has been the big uh, thing over the years, and we know where gold was and where it is. And people still think, okay, I want to buy gold. Actual, we can actually buy a CD that's linked to the gold commodity, and in which case, you don't. When if if gold goes up or down, you you get part of the gain, but no downside. So in the in the last year or so, when gold has gone down a lot. Right. People would basically have just gotten their original principal back and not have any gains, and, and be happy with it, right? Because yeah, and there's no there's no loss at least. Whereas what, folks who okay. were in gold lost a lot. Yes. What, what is the minimum to get into one of these market based CDs? Typically, it, it's normally five thousand dollars. Uh huh. Okay. So, and are there commissions or fees involved in getting into them? Uh, it comes out of the. It, they don't pay it directly. It comes out of the. It, they, in other words, just like if you bought something from uh, went to the bank, the bank would pay. Uh, a commission or a fee to the to the broker. So no, they don't pay a fee directly. But it's coming out of your return, in effect. Well, it's built in. Per se. Yes. Yes. Right. Technically. Okay. Yes. Yep. So, absolutely. So, other than market-based CDs, what are some other things that you recommend to the kind of clientele you have that are uh, very risk-averse and want to have their money earn something, and they're worried right. about outliving their money? What are some of the other things that you recommend to them? Well, on a limited basis, preferred stocks can, can work. There's certain types of preferred stocks that, that can be good, uh, in which case, you're, you're, again, I use a company that we all heard of, Goldman Sachs. It's been around forever. Love them or hate them, they're not going anywhere, and they have certain preferreds that are paying an average of 5 6%. And as long as Goldman is still there, the um, investor will get that 5 or 6% every year. These are issued by Goldman, or Goldman is the underwriter for other companies? No, this is a Goldman Sachs preferred. This is Goldman Sachs itself. Goldman Sachs itself. Correct. 
Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, bonds used to be, obviously, bonds used to be a, a bigger piece. Now, as we all know, bonds are um, we're at a point now where we, the interest rates will eventually go up and we're, uh, the bond market is um, we're, we're fearful of. And uh, the other thing, too, is uh, if you can imagine the junk bonds, we've heard that term, um, the actual junk bond interest uh, yield these days is, is, is a little less than 6%. So to, to even get a good rate of return on a bond, you have to be non-investment grade to get that. So we don't even, really, I don't even go into bonds as much. The preferreds I use, these CDs I like, um, certain types of indexed and fixed annuities can work too if they're, if they're short-term and, and provide liquidity. What kind of a yield can you get on index annuities these days? Well, it, it depends. If, if they're linked to the market uh, and have no upside, in, in other words, just like the CD, you're participating in the market. Uh, say, for example, like last year, the market went up uh, 29.6%, and it's uh, linked to get uh, 50% participation, and someone will get uh, almost 15% uh, on their uh, but it's not account. assured. You don't know exactly what you're going to get. Depends on what the market does. Uh, exactly. Yes. 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 So, so, so other than preferred, are, are, I'm sorry. So you're saying you don't really like bonds where interest rates are now. And there's a lot of downside capital risk on those if interest rates were to go up. You like preferreds. Uh, yes. In addition to that, and MarketLink CDs, because this is the main thing your clients are asking for. What are right. other vehicles then that you're using for them? We'll use some alternatives such as real estate uh, investment trusts. Um, Certain things like you know equipment leasing we've used in the past, and again it's not definitely because of the illiquidity of these. As you know, you can you only want to put at the most five to ten percent of one's liquid assets in something. So like on that. the REITs, are you talking about publicly traded REITs or private non-traded REITs? Uh, non non-traded. I see, because there's been some scandals and bad things going on in those recently. Absolutely, you're still, you're, that's you why. Still think they're fun? Uh, I'm sorry. Do I think they're fun? Fine, fine. fine. I, you still, you still would recommend them today after what's been happening sure. recently. Again, with with help and just navigating through the landmines, you can find certain ones that can work. But absolutely, there are so many. Um, it, like everything, like any uh, any other type of investment out there, there's so many uh, good and bad. Um, so, what would be one example of a good one that you do like in the current environment? That it would be a privately traded REIT, and roughly what kind of yield would you get out of it? Well, there's, uh, I know the name American Realty Capital has been in the news, and I've used them in the past and to have had good, um, good returns on them as far as uh, something that's done everything they said they would do, and then some. They had, a, as you know, and listeners know, there's been a recent accounting scandal with one of their um, holdings, which seems to have uh, caused some negative uh, on one certain thing, but overall, they've been doing a good job. Mm-hmm. So you still like those at this point? Okay. I, I do, yeah. Okay. All right, good. Now, this is the main thing that people are worried about these days. Is earning, <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Uh, Getting yield. Uh, do you think that interest rates are going to be rising in coming years? Eventually, they they have to go up. I mean, you know where we're at right now. So, um, But that said, do they have to go up today or tomorrow? No. I mean, we know Japan uh, kept... Rates down for uh, you know close to twenty plus years now, so um, you know it, it could it could take a long time. Are you more worried about deflation or inflation on the economy these days? Oh boy, <laughs> I 
I, I guess obviously people need their investments to keep up with inflation, which has have averaged around three percent over the long haul. But um, you know, the, the real sometimes the numbers that come out are not even real. So um, we, you know, we could be in a deflationary uh, uh, economy over the next few years, possibly. So it sounds like you're weighing more more heavily towards the deflationary side than the inflationary side at the moment. I just yeah, just precaution, yes. So if you're in a deflationary environment, then fixed income things like annuities and REITs and these equity linked CDs and preferreds, that's that that's the reason you like those kind of investments, is that correct? I, I do. And along with where the market is today, I just think um, we're at a point where the market is so high, and nobody has a crystal ball. Obviously, we we could we could hit twenty thousand in the Dow in the next year, or we could you know it could drop significantly. But just knowing where we're at now, it just seems we're at a high point. I always ask the client, you know, in your gut, where do you where do you think the market's going to be, you know, in the next year or two? And no, again, just just in their gut, and they say it just seems like it's too high right now. So if they feel it is. Then I'm not going to, you know, ask them to go into something that's that's risky right now with the market being where it's at. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show, and my guest this half hour is uh, William Skillender, and his website is William Skillender's, spelled S-K-I-L-L-E-N-D-E-R dot com. And we'll be back after this. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. It's a sad fact that fraud is rampant in today's business environment. The headlines scream about once prestigious organizations falling victim to or crumbling due to the consequences of fraud. How do you keep fraud from affecting you and your business? Tune in to Fraud Talk with host Chris Marquet. Chris has over 30 years of fraud investigation experience, business intelligence, and is a renowned security consultant. Chris and his guests will inform you and help keep you from being the next statistic of fraud. Tune in Mondays at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Listen for exclusive clips from Oprah's upcoming Super Soul Sunday series on Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America 7th Wave channel. Then be sure to watch Oprah's Super Soul Sunday on OWN Network TV at 11 a.m., 10 Central, every Sunday. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for this half hour is William Scalender. He is a financial uh, planner and a wealth manager based in uh, New Jersey. Uh, welcome back to the show, Bill. Thank you, Jordan. Good. Now, one area you're seeing a lot of issues is identity theft. Um, yeah. And you have a whole piece on your website called To Catch a Thief. Just start off maybe giving us a sense of the, the size of the problems. I hear all kinds of different numbers. It's millions. It's hundreds of thousands. Give me a sense of the size of the problem, and then some ways that people are vulnerable that they probably are not familiar with uh, to be have their identity stolen. 
Right, right. Well, when, when we think of first, when we think of identity theft, you think your whole, you know, your social security number is is taken, compromised, and someone runs off and runs up your credit and ruin, ruins everything. But there's smaller, insidious things that are happening. Mainly, uh, it seems to retirees because again, they're they're vulnerable. They're home. Um, they're they're more apt to answer the phone and excuse me, to interact with someone calling them. So here, here is something that just, again, by chance this happened today. I got a call from one of my clients, and she wanted to let me know that the, uh, someone who said they were from the IRS actually called her and said that she needed to make a payment, give a credit card to make a payment. Uh, otherwise, she's going to be sued, and they're going to come after her and, and, and you know, take everything away from her. Now, when you hear this, of course, it, you know, we, we can think logically. Well, first off, the IRS doesn't call and make, make those type of calls. And right. second, they send letters, obviously. That, you know, they'll send a letter and, and, and such. But again, someone older, they're, they're, their mind isn't working as fast, and they're going to be more susceptible to something like this. So the, these types of things, and this has actually been in the news, these, these phone calls. And it, ironically, it just happened to my client this morning that she got this call. There's, there's that the IRS um, scam. Then there's another. I had another client recently. Um, the someone posing as the their their local bank called to say, hey, they we're just checking. There's something up with your account. Um, we just want to verify certain things. Could you just tell us your social security number and and the last four of your bank uh, account number? And then they, they reveal that. Okay, yep. All right, we we got you covered. Everything's good. And Two or three months will go by, and then this little charge, a little, for $400, $500 will be taken out of their account by, by, this, um, by this scam. And people don't even realize it's happened until uh, two or three months later when, when they see the charge. Um, you may have heard, too, there's um, a thing with the utility companies. Now, someone can get, this may, may not be known, that anyone can get our... Um, personal um, utility account number, and also how much we owe, just giving our name and our address and pretending they're us. I, I just, I'm calling for um, Bill Skillender. I just want to you know, find out what I owe and what my account number is. I'm sorry, I don't have it handy. And the uh, utility company will give that out. Then what happens is they'll use that information to call the person and say, hi, this is uh, JCPNL. We, um, we have you as uh, we're going to shut you off. And you know you're going to be out in the cold unless you uh, make a payment right now with this with the card. Mm-hmm. And the sense of uh, urgency and immediacy is obviously again you uh, you hear this and the red flags go up immediately. But imagine again if you're older, you're home alone, and you're from that generation that trusted a lot more. And and when someone told you something and called you on the phone, it it meant there it meant there was something serious. So what are some of the things people can do to prevent being taken by ID theft? Well, there's an acronym that the FCC uh, has come up with that we, we love. It's, it's SCAM, S-C-A-M, and it's, it's really pretty simple. Uh, this S is be stingy about giving out personal info, and, and really the, the rule is don't give anything out. I mean, it, try to make it like almost like it's um, if someone calls on the phone, first off, 
get their name and number and say, I'm going to call you back, no matter who they say they are and how legitimate they sound. If someone can always have this as almost a, a rule that they have, that they're not going to give any personal information out, they're going to take someone's number and, and then look into it and call them back, that'll prevent a, a, a big thing there. Then second, the C for uh, the, scam, the scam is check all of your information often. Um, there's monitoring services that uh, people can pay for, or you can get um, these things free for, through the banks and, and the credit cards. Um, they'll monitor your account, and uh, American Express especially is very, very diligent if you go out of the area and also and or do a larger charge than normal. They'll call you right away to say, hey, what's up? Is this, is this legitimate or not? Uh, a is for ask for a copy of your credit report. Experian, Equifax, and TransUnion supply these reports um, free once a year, and even more often if there's something uh, for free, again, if there's something that's suspected on, on there that you're not familiar with. And M is for maintain good records, of course. Um, I know someone, again, who um, didn't realize until years later that he had a house. Again, we're in Jersey. He had a house, a college loan, and cars in California. And it all sounds fun and exciting until you, <laughs> the house is in foreclosure, the cars are being repossessed, and the student loans are um, in default. And this is someone who's never been to California, has no ties there whatsoever, but these, someone got his information and kept this thing going on, and then years later he finds out that you know, his credit has been compromised and so, so you do all these things, yeah. And so once you've been hit, what is the process of recovering? Can you ever kind of get back to where you were before with a clean identity if you've been hit? I mean, it's, uh, there's horror stories. I mean, a big full hit, like I just mentioned, is, is pretty much you're your, your spending uh, years and, and, and money to try to get your, your, um, your Social Security number um, back again. Obviously, the, the best thing, like in like most cases, is to... Be preventative. Be, be, um, you know, take take proactive action, which is again to check your information and, and to have your credit report looked at at least once a year, and, and don't uh, give any information out. Do you believe in the uh, prevention services like the LifeLocks of the world as a way of preventing ID theft? Is that an effective way to do it? I, again, yeah, they they of course serve their purpose, but a lot, if someone checks, if, if an individual can check the bank. And in most cases, the bank or the credit card offers these services as part of um, being an account holder. So yes and no. Obviously, if, if it's not there, then you want to you pay for it. Just like if you have a car and you don't have um, roadside assistance, then AAA is definitely worth it. But if you have a newer car, they come with that these days. So, um, okay. Very good. All right, well, people were definitely on guard now about the ID theft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, again, not to not to belabor it. It's just a personal thing because these are these are you know folks who you, you see it that and you feel it, it's just it just gets you angry that they are victimized and they're so you know you don't want to say gullible but they're more susceptible to something. Yes. All right, I want to talk about something else, which is tax strategies. Um, okay. I know you're not an accountant, but uh, there are some things people do wrong about taking money out. From non-qualified versus IRAs, just talk briefly about when you're withdrawing money, the correct right. order in which to do things tax to be tax efficient. 
in most cases, and again, it's every every case is individual. You got to make that clear. But in most cases, obviously, you want to be withdrawing money from non-qualified, meaning non-IRA, non-401k money first. Uh, obviously, the reason being is every every penny that comes out of an IRA, a qualified account, is taxable as ordinary income at whatever your tax rate is. Whereas non-qualified money, first off, the principal obviously is is not taxed at all. It's your principal. You've already gotten that money. Um, after you pay taxes on it. And the interest, depending on what kind of interest it is, is taxable. It could be taxed at capital gains or it could be taxed at different, different rates. So, um, it's, it, again, most cases you want to take your non-qualified money first. And then between a Roth and a regular IRA, does it often make sense to move money from a traditional into a Roth, do the one-time tax hit, and then have it grow tax-free forever? I mean, that's, you know, this was a, a few years back. This was a big niche to, to people were doing these workshops and seminars to, you know, the Roth conversion. And when you really look at the, the dollar cost savings, when you convert when a, a, an IRA to a Roth, whatever the dollar amount is, if it's $100,000, say, that full $100,000 is taxable income for that year that you're moving it into a Roth. And then it will grow tax-free for the rest of the time you have it. And so you have to weigh, is that taxable amount uh, less or more than the tax-free growth that the Roth will provide? I mean, obviously, the Roth IRA is, is the best vehicle out there to fund because it, it grows tax-free and it comes out tax-free. But to, so, but to do a conversion may or may not make, make sense. To some extent, you have to assume what's going to happen with future tax rates. If future <laughs> tax rates are going to go up, it makes sense to do it now. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, uh, I always ask that question, do you think? And everyone seems to think, uh, have a good feeling that taxes are going to go up. But well, you're, you're the expert. What do you think? I think taxes are going to go up, but I, I also think, again, it's, it's, is it going to go up to affect the, these, um, you know, Roth IRAs, there's talk about that account being changed, and someone who has one is grandfathered in. So, I, again, it, each case is, is individual. I don't know if the benefit is there as much to convert, regardless of how much higher taxes go up. For those who are currently receiving Social Security income, uh, and they have to pay a certain amount of tax on it, how does that affect how you take money out of an IRA? Well, again, if you're, whatever you take out of your IRA um, is taxable. Obviously, RM required minimum distributions would start at age 70 and a half. That's the year that you attain age 70 and a half. You can't get around anything over and above that could then affect your social security, social your social security income, which, um, as we know, was not taxable until uh, the 1980s when, mm-hmm. all, when everything changed. So now it can be up to 85 percent of your social security can be taxed. So uh, someone and and there, you know, we do it for our clients, and anyone's accountant can do that. Can actually look at before. You can't change what's happened, uh, you know, in the previous year, but going forward, you can look and see, okay, this is what your tax rate will be based on how much you're taking out of your IRA, and this will ha- this will be how much your Social Security will be taxed as well. So people often make mistakes in this area as far as when they take money out and how it's going to be affected yeah, by Social yeah. Security taxes? Yeah, they take out, and, and uh, again, once it's done, you can't go back. It's not like you can do a do-over. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of mistakes being made out there all the time, I guess. Yeah, it's it's sad to see, but you know, part of what we try to do for our clients is going forward to be proactive and not make the mistake in the future. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest for this half hour has been William Scalender, 
Uh, he is a, a wealth management uh, owner of his own wealth management company uh, based in Brielle, New Jersey. Uh, his website is williamskelender.com. And thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, Bill. Thank you, Jordan. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, and we'll be back after the break with our next guest. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Listen for exclusive clips from Oprah's upcoming Super Soul Sunday series on Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America 7th Wave channel. Then be sure to watch Oprah's Super Soul Sunday on OWN Network TV at 11 a.m. 10 Central every Sunday. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for this half hour is Russell Stone. He's the owner of the Scranton Financial Group based in Connecticut. Welcome to the show, David. Russell, sorry How are you about doing? That. Very good. Um, right. I know your, your mentor was David Scranton, actually. So just kind of give us a little bit of background about you and, and what kind of clients your firm, uh, Scranton Financial Group, uh, what kind of services you offer for them. Okay. Uh, I go back into the mid-'90s. Uh, I grew up you know, in my dad's food service business in Springfield, Mass., and, you know, I didn't know it then, but uh, as it appears, my passion for economics really started back then because his food service business would cater to some of the largest industrial complexes in the Western Mass in northern Connecticut area. And so I got to see economics in motion uh, in my early childhood because my dad would take me into these places, you know, really nice places. Like uh, when I say nice, I mean interesting, uh, like Smith & Wesson, Tyflex Hose. Uh, places like that that manufacture things uh, or they service things like uh, community colleges and stuff like that. And I got to see what happened. And I, I was very sensitive to what was going on within my dad's business because I understood that if uh, what a good business was and what a bad business was. 
And one of the most frequent questions I would ask my dad, uh, even growing up at you know, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, is, Dad, did you get any new accounts? Because I knew that the bigger the company grew, the faster the company grew, then the more stability we would have within the family. So that was my introduction to economics, and that carried on into college. And in college, uh, I loved economics and would get A's in that. Accounting put me to sleep. I had to take accounting one and two over again because uh, I would fall asleep in the middle of the class. But uh, I kind of managed my way through that. And then when I got into uh, the business world, I worked for my dad for a while and ran his business with him. He had 55 employees at the peak of his business. But uh, I had gotten married and had three young daughters uh, all within three years of each other. And so I had to make a choice. I was either going to have a, a, a marriage that was going to have a stay-at-home, not a stay-at-home dad, but a, uh, a father that was going to be there and present and able to help out my wife, or I was going to be an absentee father. Like my, my dad wasn't an absentee father in the sense that he wasn't home, but he was very often tied up with work. So my choice was to go back towards something more flexible, back towards my education, which was business and finance. Well, so and just tell me a little bit about business. what kind of clients do you have and what, what are the kinds of services you offer to your client base? Um, what we do, what I do is, as you mentioned early on when we first got on, was Dave Scranton was my mentor back when I first got into the business. And Dave, <clears throat> Dave's credentials are impeccable. His, uh, his, um, what he has done within the industry and the, the vision that he has had and how to build a business and how to run it is is very valuable and i've used that for the last sixteen seventeen years uh, mentoring with dave he's a cfa with a masters in financial services trinity mathematics degree he's got all the credentials and the experience but he uses it correctly and it was through dave's mentoring that allowed me to understand how to build my own practice so my practice is a mirror image of his and the way that i run it and I service clients between the ages of, say, 55, 50, all the way up until age 80, 85, 90, and, and you know, until they pass away. Um, we also have a, a tax uh, practice that we, we run. We, we provide tax services for clients, um, you know, which is a separate entity of, of itself. And we provide that service as a way to better service them on the advisory side. So, what, what are some of the big issues, kind of pre-retiree and retiree types? What are some of the big issues you're hearing from them today, and what kind of advice do you give them for those issues? Uh, their cost, their standard of living can't be supported by their income, can't be supported by the low interest rates, and they're reluctant or don't want to take the risk of the bond market or the stock market. Um, asset allocation isn't necessarily working for everybody. And, and in an environment where you have your kids that are not coming out of college and getting uh, jobs, where you have uh, your parents maybe have uh, long-term care needs that they can't fund, so you find yourself helping out your parents, trying to help out your kids. A lot of those clients that are in their 50s and 60s that are just getting ready to retire, uh, it doesn't look the same as it did for their parents. So if you have kind of classic sandwich generation problems, and somebody comes to you, they're doing yeah. pretty well. They maybe haven't saved a huge amount for retirement, but some. As you said, the kids have moved back home again because they can't get a job after college. The parents need long-term care and help. What, what kind of plans do you devise for people in a kind of a classic sandwich generation problem? Uh, my, my first and foremost concern is how are they positioned? Uh, in what position are their assets? Uh, the new... The, 
Uh, risk is a lot different than it used to be. Risk used to be, well, the closer you got to retirement, the more of your money you shift into bonds or bond funds. The farther away you were, the more stocks you had, and then you just slowly transitioned as you aged. And in this environment, uh, that's under that as the stock market goes up and down, the bond market will do the opposite. But as we saw in 07 to 09, both the stock market and the bond market uh, corrected simultaneously. And that should wake people up. That should really clue them in as to I really need to redefine uh, what my risk is and how much risk I'm willing to take. So in the current circumstance where the stock market's very high and bond yields are very low, bond prices are high, but bond yields are very low, CDs and money funds cash are pretty much earning nothing, what kind of asset allocation do you recommend for typical clients, kind of sandwich generation who want to have decent income for their retirement, but they got the kids coming home and the parents and so on that we just described? Well, it really goes back to my original philosophy, uh, which is that uh, the first question that I want clients to ask and answer for themselves is, is this a recession or is this something different? Mm-hmm. And it's my view that because of the massive amounts of credit that is built into less than the actual credit that is being uh, dri- that is driving the economy, the question you have to ask yourself is this, is are we in a recovery that is slow but getting better, or is this possibly a credit deflationary depression? And in my opinion, I believe that this is a credit deflationary depression, and it became evident in 07, but, uh, you know, it's just playing itself out, but the worst is yet to come. And you have to ask yourself, with bond yields so low, that means bond prices are so high, you also have an overvalued stock market, which is at all-time highs. The one question I'll ask anybody, your audience or my clients, is what happens when the bond buyers turn into bond sellers? Mm-hmm. And so that would mean that interest rates would go up, is what you're saying. Absolutely. But traditionally, people will always position interest rates going up as, well, okay, it's supply and demand. So the more people that want uh, bonds, the, the higher the interest rates will go. And that's not what's going to play out. What happens if we have a couple more Detroits? What happens if we have uh, some high-yield corporate bond funds that default? Don't you think that that fear that can, will can spread throughout the industry and make people question whether or not they want bonds? And what if interest rates go back to their natural levels, where they really should be? All right? uh, if you look at the history of interest rates, every 55 to 60 years, they go from a low to a peak back to a low. And right now, in June of 2012, we hit the 60-year low, but we also hit the 220-year low, which tells us that really yields have no place to go but up. And that's my concern. As yields go up, what's going to break? Some things are going to do well. Some things aren't going to do so well. Uh, so we've, we've had the Federal, Reserve, of- the Federal Reserve has stopped doing quantitative easing now because they basically thought Correct. that the economy could handle it on its own. So they're not kind of artificially keeping rates down. They've moved up a little bit since the end of that, not that much. But is your view that right. interest rates will rise quite sharply in coming yeah. years? Uh, yes, I, I believe they are going to go up. And, you know, my question is, is, was the Federal Reserve holding down interest rates or was there just no demand for credit? Because in order for interest rates to go up under the economic uh, hypothesis that you must have a demand for credit in order for those interest rates to go up. But what happens if there isn't a demand for credit, uh, which there really isn't a strong demand for credit right now, so that would explain why the interest rates are so low. 
what if it's more or less a fear of default on bonds that is going to drive the interest rates to go up, which is where I think it's going, is that it's going to be fear that is driving the interest rates up, not necessarily supply and demand. So in that case, would you stay with the highest quality kind of bonds, treasuries, and high yield, high quality corporates and avoid uh, junk bonds and foreign bonds and things that have more risk to them? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think you really have to measure a couple things. Let's start at the lowest level. Let's just say that you have uh, you know, money in a money market account. Well, my first response to them would anybody would be make sure you use a money market account that is 100% T-bills. Not a mixture of T-bills and other, 100% T-bills. You really want you know, the money that you're going to have safe and liquid and available in a case of emergency to be really in a safe, liquid place, and that would be T-bills only, in my opinion. All right. So, so uh, you think you that go, having a money market fund in commercial short-term paper and, and short-term CDs that are commercial, not treasury, is taking a risk? Uh, potentially, because what happens if there is a spike in interest rates, and what happens if there is an increase in the demand on the liquidity? What is going to happen to that commercial paper? What is going to happen to those CDs? Uh, how many banks were closed back in 07 to 09? So, so you're saying that um, uh, 07, 09 was kind of a warm-up of what's coming next. Correct. And, and, and keep in mind that the number of banks that we have is kind of proportionate to the amount of credit that is being used throughout the economy. So if the amount of credit goes down, then we need less banks. It's, it's, wow. In my mind, it's just common sense. So, okay, so your scenario is uh, interest rates are about to go up a lot. We're going to have a lot of credit issues, lower quality both uh, short-term paper and long-term paper like junk bonds are going to get hurt. But even if you're, so we'll take your advice there, even if, if you're there and, and interest rates rise, treasury bonds will get hurt. Treasury bills would do okay, but treasury bonds would treasury get hurt. Treasury bills so saying, is what I'm talking about. It's treasury bills only, not treasury bonds. If I said that, I... I, I no, no, so you're just saying bills. stay short in the safest, most liquid thing yes. possible. So uh, are you at all concerned about the federal government? Uh, I mean, deficits in general have been coming down. We're approaching $18 trillion in debt. But are you concerned about the uh, solvency of the, the federal government at some point if, if they can't borrow from I'm, overseas and so on? Well, I, I think you would have to include that in your list of concerns. I don't think the U.S. government's going out of business. No, I don't. Uh, do I think that uh, there is going to be some pressure on, on T, uh, T bonds and T notes? Yes. Uh, do I think there's going to be pressure on anything that isn't of the highest credit quality? You know, where do you think interest, interest rates could go? Where, where were they in 1980? Much higher than, They're at well. 16%. That's right. So you think we could re re revisit, and we could revisit something like that, you're saying? Yeah, if we could get there in 1980, why can't we get there now? I mean, well, the, I don't the think we get there that, overnight. The argument would be that there's major deflationary forces in the economy, uh, in Europe, okay. in Japan, and other places, and that, they, if anything, rates are going negative, not, not rising right now. That's, that would be the argument on the other side. Well, the, no, because ask yourself this question. If, if, um, if somebody says to me that their, their wages aren't going up, but the cost of gas and food is, at the end of the month, you have less money or more money. Uh, the answer is you have less money. So mm -hmm. isn't that kind of, isn't that de deflation in the sense that you have less spendable wealth because of the rising cost of, of goods and services relevant to your, uh, your income. Yes. No, I see what you mean. And that, that, 
It's quite a, quite an interesting uh, proposal you have with the, going forward here. We're, we're going to take a break and come back for more on this. Um, my guest this half hour is Russell Stone. He's the owner of the Scranton Financial Group. You can find out more about him at his website, which is scrantonfg.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. What does conscious leadership mean to you? It unites organizations instead of dividing them. By exploring commonly based business challenges, it guarantees an increase in your bottom line. Tune in to Minding Our Business, Creating a Spiritual Economy with your host, Nadine Rogers. Each week, we'll hear from business leaders and learn from their strategies. We'll talk about personal and organizational best practices that you can learn from, and we'll hear from you. Minding Our Business airs live Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for this half hour is Russell Stone. He's the owner at the Scranton Financial Group based in Connecticut. His website is scrantonfg.com. Welcome back to the show, Russell. Yep, thank you. So explain to me. So we have the stock market soaring. So stocks are going up dramatically. We have interest rates falling dramatically, not only in the United States, but around the world and Japan and Europe. Uh, It seems like there's a lot of deflationary things going on. You're saying that whole thing is going to reverse, that interest rates are going to go up and the stock market will go down. How do you, other than just put your money in treasury bills, uh, prepare yourself for such a major switch from what we've got today? Well, here's, here's the thing is, uh, you know, if you're going to have money in safe, you know, liquid money that you need to have access to, there, if you're, you know, there is somebody in your audience that in 2007 was planning on retiring in 2008 and then suddenly had to put their plans on hold because they kept their 401Ks allocated in the market. So what I'm saying is everybody's going to be slightly different and depends on where you are and what stage of your life. 
But if you're getting ready to retire or if you have a major expense coming up that you know, like your kid's going to college, I have two two kids in college now. So you have to sit there and say, all right, what money do I absolutely have to have available to me uh, over the next one year or two years? After that, you say to yourself, in my opinion, if you think the stock market is at an all-time high after government printed $4 trillion, after four or five rounds of quantitative easing, then at some point you have to go back to market history, and market history tells us that uh, most bear markets have three uh, 50% or more drops in them, going back to 1805. And we've only had two, so we're probably due for a third. So I wouldn't play far, you know, I wouldn't bet on the markets going up much, much higher. Uh, I've been wrong on that, by the way, so uh, I will eat humble pie. Uh, the markets have continued going up longer and further than I thought possible. But at the same time, the problems that are uh, in our economy are still there, and they're even bigger. In fact, there's $1,000 trillion in worldwide debt, right? Uh, mm-hmm. That's the conservative number. There's another $700 trillion in derivatives. That's 10 times greater than the world economy. So until these problems get adjusted and worked out of the system, I'd rather be cautious than hope that we can eke out another 5% out of the markets and, and risk losing more than we can afford to re- lose. If I were to make you Federal Reserve Chairman, head of the European Central Bank, head of the Bank of China and the Bank of Japan, you have total control of the world's financial system. What would you do to avoid uh, this problem you see coming? Uh, first of all, uh, I would tell, I would right away go to a new tax system in the United States. Uh, I would go definitely to a flat tax or a fair tax. There's lots of support for it in the Congress already. It's the original design that the founding fathers of our country were uh, hoping that we would stick to, but we didn't. And you don't need to make the tax code a divisive vehicle. It's divisive now. It pits classes against classes. It pushes. We, have, we do not have enough people uh, supporting the system. We have more than half that don't pay any taxes. We have uh, one group, you know, the upper 1% that uh, pays a lot of taxes, but they also have a tremendous amount of wealth. And keep in mind that in the last depression, the wealth disparity increased right up until 1929. So this idea that the government can change that, uh, I, don't, I don't agree with it. So I would change the tax code, make government much, much smaller. I would encourage the families, the community, and the, and the uh, organizations within the communities to get more proactive and make it uh, a tax-friendly environment for corporations. I would look at rules and regulations to apply them where they're supposed to be applied. Uh, what is necessary in Connecticut isn't necessarily uh, needed in Washington State. Okay, uh, so, so that's on the kind of fiscal that side. Done. That's on the fiscal side. So talk about the monetary side now. We've just had this enormous quantitative easing. We've added $4 trillion to the Fed's balance sheet. The same is going on in Europe. The same is going on in Japan and China and so on. Would you stop all that okay. um, monetary quantitative easing? I would get rid of the Feds. Central banks uh, have not worked. <laughs> if you okay. look at the history of them... Uh, that might be controversial, and I'm sure that makes some people scratch their heads. But at the same time, uh, what have they accomplished? What they do is they interfere with the natural cycle of interest rates. So when the interest rates are high, it's a signal to me, the consumer, to stop spending and to save money. When the interest rates are low, it's a signal to the consumer to say, okay, I can spend now. 
it interferes with that natural cycle of saving and spending. And so you had no central. A, you're saying if you had no central banks around the world, so there's no force to counteract these normal uh, movements, w wouldn't that create hyperinflation and depressions, and like there'd be no kind of thermostat on the on the economy, basically? Well, we've had depressions uh, as far back as you can remember, the Tulip Depression, the, the South Sea Depression. There's lots of depressions and recessions. That's, a, that's just part of the whole system. What we need to do is have responsible government and responsible consumers so that they don't rely on debt. Where is debt going to take us, right? The world is awash in debt, and now we don't know how to pay it back. So what, what has been the historical, when you had in the past, big debts built up, by the, the British, with their empire, with the Romans, we've had many times. What is the usual end game when debt uh, implodes? All right. Well, let's use the Romans uh, as an example. Uh, how did they devalue their currency? Well, they took all the silver out of it. So when they they discover Roman coins in their archaeological digs, they can determine where they were during the reign of the empire by the amount of silver in the coin. What are we doing with our own dollar? We're just making more dollars, which makes the current dollars that we have less. One of the surprising things that occurs, at least right now, is that the dollar is going to strengthen because the, the demand on the dollar is going to increase, particularly as bonds are being redeemed in cash. That's one of the, the, the things that we expect, and that's what we see right now. If you look at the dollar right now, it's off the charts. Right, the dollar's been very, very strong here, particularly compared to the euro and the Japanese yen. They're trying to reduce the value of their currencies to make themselves more competitive over there, and so our dollar has been rising. So you're saying that's, so, that's not going to continue? Well, it won't continue in the United States because the, the, you know, there's more dollars circulating than any, any other currency. So mm -hmm. if you're now going to flip the switch here. I'm going to make you the central banker. Right? If you're the European central bank, Right? And you see the United States printed a lot of money. Aren't you going to say, well, we need to keep pace with the U.S. in order to keep our economy competitive with their economy? If we allow the United States to devalue their currency too much, guess what? All of our goods are going to be cheaper in their economy. So our, our uh, Chevys are going to be cheaper than their equivalent. So this they'll is the be buying U.S. So cars. This, this is the race to the bottom, as people talk about it, right? Where everybody's trying Absolutely. to devalue their currencies, right? Which Absolutely. is what's happening so now. I mean, the Europeans are trying to devalue their currency. The Japanese are trying to devalue right. their currency. We are not. We are, our currency is soaring. But it's not because we're not trying to devalue it. It's just because the demand has shifted over from, like, gold is going down for less since November 2011. Why? Because yeah. the demand is shifting to cash, not gold. Mm -hmm. right? That's going to keep on going on because there's more dollars in circulation. As more people are using dollars and there's more bond redemptions which are done in dollars, then that's going to increase the demand. Think, think of it this way. If you have $1,000 trillion in debt, which is just another word for bonds, what happens when just 5% of that money sells off? So it affects the entire bond market is what you're saying. Right, but where's the cash going to come from to satisfy the redemptions? So you're, going to say, you're saying there's going to be a massive liquidation and default on a huge amount of this debt. There's, it's going to be restructured, repaid, and defaulted on. Those are the only three options. So that sounds like a massive deflationary wave, if not mammoth depression, when you have that kind of default uh, and, and restructuring of debts. Yeah, but we've had depressions before. Uh, we've, we had one in 1835 to 1842. 
Uh, we had one in 1929 uh, to 1932, ended technically in 1940. You had a depression in 1718 uh, to 1722. At the end of the day, uh, those deflationary episodes are a cleansing process. I look at it as a positive. We're not going to get out from underneath the pressure, the downward pressure on our economy, because the, the ability of the economy to produce jobs is being destroyed by the carrying cost of all this debt. Right? I see. What's going to happen when, if you owed $18 trillion and the interest rates go up to 4 or 5%, what's going to happen to your budget? Yeah, it's going to, a lot of interest to be cost there. Very good. Well, we have to close the show. It's been very interesting. We've had a lot of very <laughs> provocative ideas and certainly get people thinking. My guest has been Russell Stone. Uh, he's the owner of the Scranton Financial Group based in Connecticut. You can find out more about him at his website, which is scrantonfg.com. Thanks so much. It's been quite interesting, Russell. Thank you. Nice talking to you. Thank you. And we'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.